This morning we're continuing in our study of the book of Jonah. So if you're, if you're a believer this morning, a follower of Christ, I think many, most people here are, then you probably have had some memorable times when you've met with the Lord in your life. And for me, I'm the type of person where certain places are very significant to me, actual physical places. So when God does something in my life in a certain location, I love going back to that location, not because it's magical, but because it reminds me of what God did in my heart in the time when I was in that place. One of those places is, is Perry Road uh, over here, where New Life used to be. And uh, about almost 20 years ago, I visited that church as a late teenager, almost uh, 18 years old, I believe. And the, the message that was spoken, I was invited by, by friends, and the message that was spoken spoke to my heart. And for the first time, I felt God speak to me, even though I'd been in church situations before, and I came to Christ. Down, right down the road on Perry Road over here. And it's now the Perry Road Baptist Church. And I love, I can remember the smell of that place. I can remember everything about that place. Uh, God did something special in my life. My first time being a part of uh, this church was in that place. And I actually went back to that place this past summer on my, I guess, 19-year anniversary and reflected upon all God has done before and during and throughout my, my, my life. And it was just a really good kind of signpost, a special place to meet with the Lord. Another place I love to go is Second Dog Bible Conference, which is where, you know, after I became a believer, I worked there as a camp counselor. And we were just on mission together, other people my age, te- late teenagers, you know, doing day camp, doing um, overnight camp with the kids and sharing the gospel with them, sharing, sharing the Bible with them and stories with them um, fr- from, the, from the Word. And uh, I get the privilege of going back there this coming August to be a speaker for a week of camp, which is really exciting to be at, like I didn't, I wasn't looking for the opportunity, but they reached out to me and said, hey, we remember you from a long time ago. Can you speak to camp? And I'm like, oh, that'd be awesome, you know? Almost 20 years later to be able to go back to that special place and share with, with the kids the word of God and to let my kids experience going to camp there as well in the day camp. Very special place. I'll drive there sometimes and just walk about and pray. A lot of these places that we love going to or we've been prevented from going to, you know, over the last year. I, I love going to Christ the King Spiritual Life Center and, and into the library, praying, uh, seeking God, writing sermons. Again, that's all been closed down, so that's been tough for me. The most memorable time, I guess, because it's the most strange, I think I may have shared this before, so I apologize, but the, around the time when I first came to God, to God a couple of years into my faith journey, the senior pastor uh, just encouraged the church and said, Make a special time to meet with God. Like put it on your calendar. Choose a time and a place, just you and God, not for anyone else to see, you know, and, and meet with the Lord in the special time and place. And so me as an 18-year-old, being the type of wacky person that I am, I came up with, of course, this really elaborate plan. I was still living at my parents' house. And I, I said, I'm going to wake up at 3 in the morning and set my alarm, and I'm going to go out to the, to the cemetery up on the hill. because I, lo- I love cemeteries. Strange, I know. And I'm going to just be there and praying in the middle of the night with a flashlight. So uh, this is my romantic kind of uh, sentimental weirdness coming out. But this is who I am, I guess. And so, again, there was no other reason to wake up at 3. There's no other reason to go to a special place like this. It felt like, oh, I'm doing this just for God. So I get to the, to the, to the cemetery, and I decide to climb up the rocks um, to, to, that leads into the cemetery instead of going by the road. And I, I don't know why I did that. Maybe I just didn't want the people in the houses to see me walking by and creeping them out in the middle of the night. But um, as I was walking up the rocks, it, the moon was out. It was pretty bright. But I turned my flashlight on because I was crawling through something kind of gross. And it was like dirt, like grave dirt, 
Someone had, like, the caretaker had, like, been digging graves, I guess, and they dumped the dirt over onto the rocks along with a bunch of funeral decorations and, like, old stuff that they cleaned out of the cemetery. And it creeped me out. It creeped me out so much. I'm like, ah! So I, like, wiped my hands off and ran home to my parents' house. And I met with the Lord on the porch instead and probably, you know, if my mom, I, I don't remember if I saw either of my parents, but I, that's my story of a special time and place to meet with God. Very memorable. And I think that, but I think that of all those stories, you probably have your own stories of times you've tried to meet with God. You know, Jonah's meeting with God is especially strange and memorable. Uh, having a meeting with the presence of God inside a fish, a great fish in, this, in, our, in our text today. So... Um, what we're going to see today in our text is Jonah going toe-to-toe with God inside the belly of a great fish, talking to God in a very, very strange place, very, very dark, and far below the surface of the ocean. So, so far in our story, we've seen Jonah, you know, go down, down, down. We've seen that whenever the scriptures talk about someone going down in direction, it's a bad, kind of like in our in our parlance today, we'd say, that person's gone down, down, down. Jonah was going down, down, down. And further and further away from God's will and plan for his life. God tells Jonah initially to preach against the city of Nineveh because of its exceeding wickedness in chapter 1. God tells Jonah, go east by land. Jonah goes west by sea. As far away from God's will as he could possibly go. And Tarshish was the furthest place west in the known world at the time. So he was on his way far away from God's plan. We saw he not only fled on the ship, but he went to the, to the bottom of the ship and to the lower part of the ship, and he fell asleep. So down, down, down he goes. And we, as reading the story, don't think Jonah can go down any further. He, we think he's pretty much gone as far as, from God as he can go. But we will see that uh, that is not the case. He can indeed go down even further. The sailors of the, of the boat wake up Jonah, and everyone ends up realizing that Jonah's God, the one true God, has brought the storm on everyone in the ship because of Jonah's running away from God. They find that out through casting lots, and they determine this is the guy. And reluctantly, the sailors, with great fear and trembling, agree to throw Jonah, to cast him into the sea. And they, ask, they say, God, let us be innocent of this man's life. They throw, but this is the only thing we can see to do. They throw him into the sea. And the text actually implies that these sailors were actually converted by Jonah, which is pretty funny and ironic considering he's a prophet who's running away from God. But even in the, in the course of his, his storm and his sin, you know, all the sailors come to faith and they're making sacrifices to God and offering oaths to God, something that we see Jonah do later on in the story. It's kind of an, an ironic story of, of the reluctant emissary of God, the prophet Jonah, uh, running from God and in the process all the non-religious people come to faith. (laughs) And so, without Jonah even trying. Um, So we we left off last week with Jonah having been thrown into the sea as the newly converted sailors watch on as uh, Jonah is thrashing about. And last week we talked about how every sin that we commit, whether large or small, you know, it has some kind of storm attached to it. And this is literally a storm that Jonah discovered as a result of his sin. Um, but when Jonah was thrown into the ocean, this says the sea calmed down, and Jonah was left alone. Finally, away from the sailors, by himself, utterly alone, maybe painfully alone, and probably hopeless. And Jonah begins to realize that though he chose to go down to Tarshish in disobedience, that was his decision, 
At some point, his disobedience to God is bringing him down even further than he intended to go. Um, further than he anticipated, which is, of course, the nature of sin. And I th- uh, You've heard that John Sober shared the quote. He may have gotten it from somewhere else, but he, he says, Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. So that's the, that's the story of Jonah. He just, he's, he's chosen to go to Tarshish and to- chosen to hide in the ship. He didn't really chose to be thrown off the ship and swallowed by a fish. Things are looking bad for Jonah. We're going to pick it off where we uh, left off last week. We'll actually go to 115, Jonah 115, just to get a little bit of context here. And we'll read through uh, Jonah 3.2. Then the sailors took Jonah, and uh, they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Sounds similar to what the sailors said, right? With shouts of grateful praise, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So how does Jonah's prayer hit you this morning as, you, as we look into, into it? As I've considered this story, I've tried to put myself in Jonah's position into his shoes which is, I think, what God wants us to do when we read this story, to see, to see the Jonah in ourselves. To imagine, I've tried to imagine the helplessness and hopelessness of the image of Jonah cast into the sea as the ship uh, fades into the distance. Jonah runs from his God because he doesn't want to share the message with, with his national enemies, the Ninevites. Uh, he doesn't want to share that message. Because he's concerned that God will have mercy on his enemies. He doesn't want God to have mercy on his enemies. Which, and we, we see this in, in uh, chapter 4, which Jonah says with his own lips. Jonah was not scared for his life when he ran from uh, preaching to Nineveh. His primary concern was that God would characteristically show mercy to his enemies. Enemies of his country. So, we see in this story that Jonah would do just about anything to avoid preaching to the Ninevites. Even the sermon that says, um, you are coming under judgment. He didn't even want to preach that to them 
in case they might repent. So Jonah was so committed to his desire that his enemies be destroyed without mercy by God that he runs from God's call to preach to them, going west by sea instead of east by land. And when the, sailors, when the sailors cast lots and the lot falls to Jonah, um, the storm comes upon the sailors. And you have to understand Jonah's mindset at this point. When he tells the sailors to throw him into the sea, he's saying, cast me off this boat to save yourselves. And with this act, Jonah is committing, resigning himself to death. That's the next step for Jonah as he runs from God in his mind. Jonah doesn't know where the story's going. And, but he does know that if he preaches to Nineveh, they might repent, and that would be a terrible thing. So as we can see, even in this, this uh, selfless act of throwing himself into the sea to save the ship, um, it, it does appear that Jonah, giving up his life in a way, is preferable to Jonah than preaching to his enemies. So he's got a strong feeling of not wanting to preach to Nineveh to the point of putting himself in danger. And in all of this, I want us to notice Jonah still does not call out in repentance to God. He doesn't for his disobedience. Instead, it seems that Jonah in his heart would rather die than preach. So one can only begin to imagine the intense emotional hatred Jonah felt for the Ninevites and also his disgust with God's mercy. I think that's a, that's a strong word to say disgust with God's mercy, but that's kind of what we're seeing here. He's disgusted that God would show mercy to these people. And that's hard, hard to even picture, but it's something that his relationship with God can handle and something that he'll talk to God about. These are the things that Jonah has in his heart as he asks to be cast overboard to die. The text says, Then the sailors took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. All this, the men, at all this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So imagine with me for a moment just, just what the, what's unsaid in this story. Jonah goes overboard, and he's trying to paddle, we're, we're assuming, to stay afloat. We don't know if he could swim. Um, he sees the ship passing into the distance. Again, the sea has calmed down, so it's much easier to see. The sailors can probably see Jonah as he's thrashing about and maybe hear him gasping for air as he is crying out as they drift away. And they are praying that God will have mercy on this poor guy from the ship. In all of this, Jonah still does not call out to God in repentance or ask for mercy. But even so, the text says in verse 17, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And what we see in this is that God is as merciful as Jonah thinks he is. And maybe even more so, because I don't think that Jonah expected to be rescued. Without any repentance having happened yet, without any confession on Jonah's part of his wrongdoing, God sent hope into a completely hopeless situation and provided salvation to the reluctant prophet. Listen to how, it, how Jonah says it unfolded in his prayer. This is really interesting. It doesn't seem, if you look at his prayer closely, that this fish just swallowed Jonah instantly as soon as he hit the water. Far from it. We often assume that when we think about this story, but it seems that Jonah had some time, some doggy paddling time, and some sinking time uh, before the fish swallowed him. 
It says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to his God. Verse 1 of chapter 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. So what's Jonah saying here? He's saying, we don't know when the fish swallowed Jonah. But it would appear from this prayer that after Jonah was thrown into the sea, waves and breakers swept over him. Violent currents sucked him around in the water. And he even got some uh, seaweed wrapped around his head. And Jonah concludes in all of this that he has been banished from God's sight. After he realizes this, in a moment of pure terror, it says in verse 5 that the engulfing waters threatened him and the great sea began to surround him as seaweed wrapped around his head. He began to drown. And Jonah is quoted as saying, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. It's a really interesting phrase. For ancient people, people that would have, would have originally heard this account, they believed that the place of the dead was below the earth where the roots of the mountains were. So they believed the, root, the mountains had roots in the, in the sea, and there was a realm of the dead below that, and they're, and they're how they thought of the world. And in the last line of verse 6, Jonah basically says, I sank below the roots of the mountains, down, 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 and the earth barred me in forever. So Joe is, Jonah is saying in this kind of poetic way, not only had he gone down to Tarshish, down into the boat, down into sleep, down into the ocean, but he went downward even further to the place near death where he felt that he was beginning to be barred out of creation itself, barred out from the world, a death beyond hope. This is a situation where a man's decision to run from God has brought him lower than he thought possible, even to the brink of death. We pick it up in verse 6 with one of the great words of the Bible. And Soper has reminded us to do this, but to, to underline the word but in the Bible. It's fantastic when God turns the story around. And in uh, verse 6b, But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Again, to the roots of the mountain I sank. In verse 6, the earth barred me in forever. But you, O Lord, brought my life up from the pit. He's starting to go up. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayers rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn from, away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Then the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. Go to the city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So as Jonah is kind of drifting, drowning, sinking, he remembers the Lord and he prays. And the fish then swallows Jonah, and he begins to go up. And this is a good thing, both in our lives and in the, in the writing of the Bible. For the first time in the story, Jonah is going up. The fish snatches him from the gates of death and brings him up to the surface towards the land of the living. And Jonah realizes that this fish is God's salvation for him. Like 
the fish is a vehicle of God's redemption. It's not a punishment. He's not being punished by being eaten by a big fish. He's being saved by this fish from death. And as Jonah feels the upward force of his salvation, he's being pulled up from the pit of death, he declares in just probably pure ecstasy that people who cling to idols are worthless and hopeless. But the I, he says, I with a shout of grateful praise will sacrifice to the Lord and I will say salvation comes from the Lord. This experience has just left him elated at his salvation. Because Jonah has received you know, salvation from a, from a death sentence by his merciful God. And he, he's, re, he's responded to that. And he says, what I have vowed, I will make good. So it seems like he's now ready to go on mission that God called him to. I don't know if you've ever been like in a car accident or had a near-death experience, but I, I have. And when I was in a car accident a few years ago, I just remember stepping out of my car, basically uninjured, and saying, Woo, I'm alive. This is awesome. Like, we're, 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 made, we're, like, we're, we're invincible. You know, you feel like, God is so good, you know. And um, that's kind of what Jonah's experiencing here, that feeling of being brought from death to life, something that could have killed him to life. And he vows to say to others, salvation comes from the Lord. So the Lord, hearing this, commands the fish to vomit Jonah onto dry land. And at that moment, Jonah's repentance, his turning from his heart attitude of, of um, hatred for God and God's plan, or hatred towards people and God's plan for them, uh, gets tested once again by God's command when God says, once again, in chapter 3, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. That's really interesting, because is that what God told him to say the first time he sent him to Nineveh? Not exactly. Um, after... Um, Jonah's salvation from the huge, by the huge fish and being locked out uh, and then shown mercy, um, he is, is tested by God. What I, what I vowed I will make good, he's tested by God once again. Will you go to the city and proclaim to it the message I give you? He doesn't say proclaim as, as, as God said in the first passage um, that Nineveh's exceeding wickedness had come up before God and so preach against the city of Nineveh, it says in, in verse 1. But he says, I want you now, Jonah, to go and, and share the message I will give you. So we don't know what that message is exactly, but Jonah presumably is recommissioned to preach this message, which, which we're going to see next week. So next week we'll see how far Jonah's repentance has progressed from, from uh, his desires and running away from God, to then being saved by God, then being recommissioned to go out and how he responds uh, to all of that. But this week... I think it's mostly important to take heart, uh, take to heart in this text the great mercy of God for us and how God has always desired his people to be like him, merciful, humble, kind, and gentle. These are things that God describes himself as, um, merciful, kind, and gentle. I am gentle and humble, and, and humble in heart, Jesus said. God wants us to reflect this aspect of his personality towards other people. So when God extends mercy to a people, to a person, like Jonah or like you or me, the expected response that God expects from us is a grateful heart and a changed direction in how we treat other people or think about other people. God desires that we end up being like him, showing mercy to people around us, even people that don't deserve it. Even those who have made themselves our enemies or we have called our enemies. Because we have been so humbled by God's great mercy and God's great salvation and how he saved us from the brink of spiritual death that we're grateful and we go forward sharing 
about the salvation from our God. Far too often, the human tendency is to be more like Jonah than like Jesus. We would seemingly rather die than show forgiveness and mercy to certain people. And, uh, you know, we do have therapists in the house right now, and they will tell you, if they're honest, they'll say, there are people that I talk to that would rather die than do that, right? It's, it's, uh, it's true. Um, we're often like Jonah. We'd rather die than show mercy or forgiveness to certain people. Um, and that's, that's exaggeration, but it's also true in the human heart. But what we see in this story of Jonah is this expe- expectation from God that those who have received mercy from him will then show mercy to other people. It'll be a flow. And it brings to mind the Lord's Prayer where it says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. The most terrifying prayer you can pray. Forgive other people the way that we, forgive me the way I forgive other people, Jesus. That's the prayer that, that um, Jesus teaches us to pray. Because there's an expectation. He who has been forgiven much, loves much. He who has been forgiven a little, comparatively, should forgive, uh, or a lot, comparatively, should, should uh, forgive a little from someone else. In Matthew 12, 38-45, we have this classic story of Jesus interacting with the Pharisees. And uh, you've probably heard a lot about the Pharisees being the boogeyman in the Bible, you know, the bad people, whatever. But the Pharisees were a group of religious purists who felt that the sinfulness of society was keeping God from completing his saving mission on the earth. So they looked down on people that were obvious sinners because they thought this, these sinners are keeping God from finishing what he wants to do. So the sinners became the enemies of the Pharisees because the Pharisees believed these people, these, these bad people, were keeping God from coming back and setting things right. The Pharisees were, were obviously, as, as you read the Bible, disgusted with sinners, disgusted with Jesus for eating with sinners, for even hanging out with people that are in that category. They were disgusted with that. They thought that made Jesus also guilty by association. Picking it up in Matthew twelve thirty eight, it says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Spoiler alert. They repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now someone, something greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus is communicating with this hard-hearted religious Pharisee group that a wicked and adulterous generation of which they are a part, is always seeking a sign, a supernatural sign, to point that it's really a work from God. But that no matter what signs are given by God, people remain unbelieving, hard-hearted, and hypocritical. In short, unmerciful to others. And for this reason, Jesus says, no further signs will be furnished to anybody except for the sign of Jonah, who is the star of our current sermon series. Jesus says, just as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of a huge fish, So the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You're supposed to think about the roots of the mountains, the heart of the earth, death, beyond beyond, uh, into the realm of the dead. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights, the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And Jesus' point is that like the huge fish in the story of Jonah, who provided Jonah with salvation from the depths of the from the heart of the earth, from the the roots of the mountains. So Jesus himself will be a vehicle of salvation to anyone who is lost and hopeless in the depths of their sins. And that 
Jesus, like the huge fish in the story of Jonah, will provide people with actual redemption and salvation from the depths of their sins and death and will give them deliverance unto life and into mission with him, to be commissioned for the mission he has for them, if they will put their faith in this sign, the sign of Jonah, Jesus is about to become for them. So we know this, these passages very, very um, by heart, and maybe we need to take them more to heart. It's often called the Romans Road. But Romans 3, 23 and 24, For we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All of us alike are together under the power and the guilt of sin until Jesus came along to save us. Romans 6.23, For the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, death is the punishment for sin. There should not be a fish to snatch Jonah from the, from the gates of death. Jonah should have just died there. But like, like the great fish, Jesus has come uh, to redeem his people. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet unrepentant, while we were yet turned from God, God died for us. Romans 10, 9 and 10 and 13, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. From the depths of sin, we cry out and God hears us. You know, we were dead in our transgressions. We were as good as Jonah, thrown into the water to, to sink, drown, and die, sinking to the roots of the mountains, to the point of death, descending into the realm of death, hopeless, lost. Imagine that terrifying picture of being lost in space without a transmitter, just circling around, no one knowing where you are, without hope. No one to hear us, no one to see us. Practically shut out from creation itself. And Jesus came and snatched us up and brought us up, 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 up. That's what he did. This is the story of Jonah sinking to the depths of the sea, to the very roots of the mountains, into the heart of the earth and his disobedience and hard-heartedness, defying God's call in his life. This is how we all run from God and God's mercy. But the sign of Jonah is, even in the deepest anguish and sin of God's people, God is present. And when we are drowning, God is there. When God's people are afflicted, even when they feel like they're surrounded by death itself, God is there. There's a but. There's a but God in every story. And just as God delivered his people through their ordeal in the Red Sea, through Jonah's ordeal in the fish, so God has acted again and finally through Christ the death of Christ on the cross on the hill of Calvary to deliver his people safely through the waters, defeating their foes, giving them salvation and forgiveness for their sins and placing them upon dry ground on the other side to then be part of God's mission on earth. This is one of the messages of the story of Jonah. So we have been saved from something as utterly hopeless as what Jonah was saved from by our own decisions going to Tarshish, by our own decisions, going to the bottom of the boat, and then realizing our sin has taken us further than we wanted to go, getting thrown overboard, sinking without hope, and God came and rescued us. And God does that. God shows mercy. And he did this so that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. It says in 1 Peter 2.9, to the world, 
humbled by our sin that we might even preach it to our enemies, especially those who desperately need salvation themselves. As Julie comes up to share with us another song, I wanted to read the, the words of the prophet Isaiah. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And humbled, we are called by Jonah to preach the good news of the one who saved us from the cusp of death, giving us life and redemption, even to those that feel like they are furthest from the people we'd like to talk to about it. Next week, we're going to see the results of Jonah's lesson in the, in the big fish. But right now, I just want us asking God to stir our passion. And really, I want us to ask God to remind us of the joy of his salvation in our lives. That we have been, we read those words from Romans and it just it rings hollow because we've heard it so many times, but God snatched us from death. And uh, it's, like when, it's like when you're saved from a, from a horrible car wreck and you think, I'm alive. How can this be? I have a whole life to live with God and for God as a result of his grace in my life. So let's ask him to stir in us the passion and the joy of our salvation as we go forward today. We pray with the psalmist this morning, Jesus, you would cast us not away from your presence, nor take your Holy Spirit from us, but restore unto us the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit in us, humble, gentle, merciful, to reflect your mercy, your humility, and your gentleness to the world and even to those who have made themselves our enemies in some way. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this time of worship. Lift all these things up in Jesus' name.